I hope that uh, you are doing well today. Hope you had a good night last night. And we are going to talk about God. I could not have chosen better songs to talk about or to lead up to the lesson that we're going to be giving this morning that we're going to talk about. I want to begin by reading with you a passage out of the book of Revelation. It says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us king and priest to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This is a description of what's going on in heaven. Have you ever thought about heaven? About what's happening in heaven? Can you imagine being there right now with a hundred million angels? surrounding the throne. We just sang shout hallelujah. I can't imagine the song that the angels are singing. And they just all day, every day. I mean, His glory is just so unbelievable to us, so immense, so undescribable that these angels, they just can't stop. They just can't stop constantly circling His throne because He is worthy. He is such a great God. And they just circle the throne and they say, glory, worthy, worthy, you are worthy. And we sing our songs. You know, when I preach, I figure that I have about 35 to 45 minutes before I completely lose everyone. Before everyone's attention goes away. And I think about something like this and I, you know, here in. 35 to 45 minutes, we're going to have an invitation song, probably. But what if instead of that, in 45 minutes from now, you were there? 45 minutes from now, if I was there. And I try to remind myself when I hold a gospel meeting that, you know, that could be the case. In 45 minutes from now, I could be there. And so when I think about that, and I plan what I'm going to preach, and I plan what I'm going to talk about, I think about what would I want to say if I was going to be there in 45 minutes. You know, the truth is, I'm just like everyone else. I I want to preach the honest gospel truth when I stand here in front of you. But I've got a little bit of mixed motives. I mean, all of us do. And I want to preach the truth, and I want to affect you and all, but I also there's a little part of me that, that kind of 
doesn't want you to hate what I preach. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't want at the end of this meeting for the elders to get together and go, let's never have that guy again. Because I have a little self-concern. I have a little pride about my things that I do, even in church work. And I try to fight that. I try to fight that all the time. Because the truth is, when I can get my mind around this and I can remember this, if I really thought I was going to be there in 42 minutes and 16 seconds, do you think I would care what you think about my sermon? Would it bother me if you didn't like my sermon? I wouldn't care at all what you thought about my sermon if I really believed I was going to be right there. Now, we live in a weird time. The time you're, you're in right now is something I couldn't have imagined as a young man. We live in a time where people will turn away their ears from the, ter- from the truth. The Bible says that this time would come. We shouldn't be surprised by it. You live in a time where people will come to your leaders of your church and they'll go, I want to divorce my wife. And the elders will say, no, you can't because God and the Bible say this. And they go, fine, I'll go to another church. And they'll go find a church that will let them divorce their wife. I want to live with my boyfriend without getting married. And the elders say, no, you can't do that. God says it's sin. And they'll go, fine, I'll go find another church. I want to fly my pride flag. And the elders say, no, God says that's wrong. And they say, fine, I'll find a church that will fly the flag for me. That's not God's people. That's not the way God's people work. And yet, that's the world you live in. I've been associated with this congregation for many years. I've known your elders since way before they were elders. And I want you to know that in a world where religiously everybody's reading the latest book that, that tells you the marketing trends and this is what works now and if you'll do this, you can keep 50% of your visitors and, and, you'll, and everyone's concerned about what works and what's effective and what's trendy. To have elders that lead a church concerned not about what's trendy but about what God says, that's a blessing. I hope you appreciate that. That's a tremendous blessing, and I've got great confidence in this congregation and these leaders of this congregation because of that. Because we live in a world where people are seeking to turn their ears away from the truth and to find something that's said that they're going to like, something that makes their, their relationship with God fine. I was in a, the orthodontist office with my son Oh, it's been four or five years ago, and the lady that was working on his teeth, we were visiting, and she said, uh, she asked what we did and all, what I did, and I told her, and she said, oh, I was raised in the Church of Christ. And I said, really? I said, well, where do you worship now? And she said, well, you know, now, my boyfriend and I, we're, we're looking for a church, you know, and I said, well, it's important for you to be at church. You know that if you were raised in the church. And she said, yeah. But, you know, honestly, we're just looking for a church that fits our lifestyle better. I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, we like to drink. And, you know, the Church of Christ really frowns on drinking. So we're looking for a church that is going to be okay with us partying on the weekend. 
Now, that's what she told me. And I said, well, you're probably right. You're not going to find that at a church of Christ because the Bible has some things to say about that. But that, that mentality and that attitude really reigns supreme in American Christendom. Jesus preached one time, and the Bible says that when he began, you can look at this picture down here, I don't know how accurate that is, but he had at least 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus preached, and he remember he fed them with the loaves and the fishes, and all these people were there, and then Jesus begins to preach, and the things he says are offensive to people. And the Bible says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more, and Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? I mean, Jesus started his sermon with six to 8,000 people there, and when he finished the sermon, there was 12 left. Do you think that was a successful sermon? Is that what you all look for when you invite a preacher? You want somebody that will run everyone off? That was Jesus. Why did they get offended? Why did they leave? Because he said stuff they didn't like. You know, you say stuff people don't like. A lot of times people leave. I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to put up with that. And so they're going to leave. And I want to tell you that here... Our business is to say what God says and not say what people want to hear. That's what we're about as servants of God. He said, are you also going to go away? And I want to tell you, this is the heart that Jesus is looking for. Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You see, there's nowhere else to go. No one else can save us. No one else can affect us in any way spiritually beyond death. Jesus is the only answer. He's the only hope. And so I can't go to Him with my demands and say, Okay, I'll follow you, but here's the terms, Lord. I'm going to follow you if you'll do this and if you'll let me do that. And Christianity cannot be that way. Not genuine Christianity. I've told you that I've taught at a private Christian school for the past 10 years. I'm a Bible teacher at this private Christian school, and I have kids who come in who know this verse. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you like that verse? I love that verse. That's one of my favorites. God loves us, and I've, we've preached about this week, right? We've talked about that and how important that truth is that God's love for you is unconditional, right? I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. And He wants to save you. That's a wonderful truth of God. But just like every other truth of God, truth out of balance becomes error or becomes heresy, becomes something that's not true, and Almost all of my students who come to my class, they know God loves them unconditionally. But they think what that means then is that all of His promises and all of His blessings are also unconditional for us. And that it doesn't matter what I do or how I live or because God loves me. I know He loves me. He's my Father. Don't parents love their children? God loves me so it what doesn't make any difference how I live my life or what I do. And I want to tell you that that's not the case. God's love is unconditional, but His promises 
are not unconditional. His blessings are always tied to condition in Scripture. Let's think about prayer for an example. Do you pray? We had a, a lovely prayer this morning. You know, I would rather personally lead a hundred or preach a hundred sermons than lead a public prayer because Seth was so eloquent in the way he worded things. I can't do that. I'm just not eloquent that way. Okay? And we've all got our gifts and our abilities, and I appreciate someone who can do that. Do you believe God answers your prayers? Do you pray? Do you believe he answers prayer? Always? Sometimes? Look at what God said to the people in Isaiah's time. He said, or they said to him, why have we fasted and you see it not? What happened in this situation, and we don't have time to go back and read Isaiah 58, but God said to them, you're out here fasting and praying, and he said, I'm not hearing anything you say. Now, these were God's people, and they fasted. Do you fast? Have you ever fasted? I highly recommend fasting and praying. The scriptures talk about that. But he said, these people were fasting and they were praying, and God didn't see it. God didn't hear it. God didn't respond to it. God was saying, I'm not listening to you. I don't care what you have to say to me. Why would God not listen to their prayers? I thought God loved us. I thought God wants to hear us as his people. Look at the answer. God said this. He said, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. God said, you can do the things of worship, but if you're wicked, I don't care that you do that. You can't go out here in the world and oppress people and take advantage of people in the name of driving a hard bargain and put people in bad spots and then come to church and pray to me and expect that I'm going to accept that. Because your character matters to God. The way you live matters to God. You know, when we have these songs that we sing, and like I said, they were, they were beautiful songs we sang this morning, and I love to be here to hear the harmony because you sound so good. But you know, when someone sings... God wants them to mean what they're saying. Do you ever just get caught up in how pretty the singing is? God wants what you sing to matter. He wants it to be real and genuine. You know, when we come to church, I want someone standing up here preaching that believes what he's saying, don't you? When we have someone wait on the table and talk about the Lord, I want someone standing here who believes what he's saying about Jesus, don't you? When we have a prayer or a song, I want someone to lead that in a way that they genuinely believe what they're saying. And it's not just pretty words and nice harmonies. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way these people were. These people were one way in their public worship, but in reality, in the life they live, God wasn't interested. You know, the Bible says to husbands, He says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. 
He says, because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. That's in 1 Peter 3. You know, guys, if you don't treat your wife right, if you don't dwell with her according to knowledge and honor her as the weaker vessel, if you don't do that, God won't listen to your prayers. And it doesn't matter that you lead prayer or wait on the table or preach sermons. If you don't do that, it hinders your relationship with God. Now, His promise, I believe there's many promises in Scripture that God will answer prayer, but they're not unconditional promises, you see. Look what He told these people. He said, share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover him. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, here I am. He said, you want me to hear your prayers? You want me to recognize what you do as service to me? You want me to honor that? Then be the kind of people that I want you to be. You care for poor people. You bring homeless into your house. You look out for those who are the ones who need help. You be that kind of person. And then, then I'll listen to what you have to say when you pray. Look at this passage in James in the New Testament. He says, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Do you know who that person is? In James chapter 1, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Because God gives wisdom liberally. But he said, when you ask, don't doubt. Because if you doubt, don't suppose you're going to receive anything. You know, you can't go live your life and doubt God's will for you and doubt God's commands in every area of your life and then come pray and expect He's going to answer your prayers. It doesn't work that God's not some cosmic candy machine that we can just punch the buttons and get what we want and go about and live the way we want to live. We have to live a life of commitment to the things that he said. He said, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You ask in a way that you're asking for something to fulfill your own desires. Think about the last time you prayed. I'm not talking about in church here or, you know, at your breakfast prayer or something. But I'm talking about the last time you really got on your knees by your bed and you talked to God. What did you pray for? That'll tell you a lot about yourself when you think about what you prayed for. And he says, if you pray selfish prayers, I'm not interested in answering selfish prayers. You know, God has so many of his teachings that are if-then statements. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's if-then. My children always grew to... I say always. They didn't always understand it, but they learned what if-then means, right? If you clean your room, then we'll go to QT and get you a Coke, right? And if you don't clean your room, guess what? We didn't have to say that because they knew if you do that, then this will happen. They knew if they want the Coke, they have to clean the room, right? All of you young people understand that, right? Well, this is God's commands. Now, here in America, 
I see. I used to see it, and it's, it was gone this time, but on the drive out here, there used to be some big semi-trailers that sitting out in a fence or in, a, in somebody's yard, I guess pasture really, but they were sitting out there and they had this passage painted on the side of the truck. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek their ways or seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And it said, pray for America. Do you think we ought to pray for America? Is that a good thing? You know, this isn't just, oh, let's all pray for America and God will heal our land. He said, if my people humble themselves, if my people pray and seek my face, if my people turn from their wicked ways... It's not just a, oh, let's all pray and God's going to heal America. God's promises, God's blessings are conditional. They are all the way through the Scripture in everything we talk about. So does God love worship? Do you think God loves worship? I believe He does. I believe the Bible teaches us that He loves worship. But here's the thing. God doesn't love all worship. God loves worship, but He doesn't love all worship. Look at what this prophet Amos said. He's quoting God here. God told him to say this. God says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not look upon them. Take them away from me. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. You know, what God says here is, I'm not interested in your worship. He said, I don't like it. In fact, he says, I despise your worship. Can you imagine that a church worships, gathers to worship, and God despises that? Can you imagine that? Do you know what? It's true. God can despise worship. He says, the sound of your songs... God's up in heaven, and we're trying to get all the harmonies right, and it's all sounding good, and God's going, la, 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 la. He said, I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested in the sound of your songs. I don't care what you're singing, because you are wicked people. You will not do what I ask you to do. The words of the songs. Do you ever just sit there, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah to the Lord. And that's, you might say, well, I don't feel good today. Okay. Shout hallelujah. I mean, he's, he's a great and mighty Lord. Does it mean that? If it doesn't mean, if you're more interested in getting that tight tenor harmony than you are shouting hallelujah to the Lord, God's not interested in that. He doesn't like it. He doesn't. He despises it. He said, I don't want to hear it. Because my heart, my heart is not there. You know, that last song we sang right before uh, that Lane led about, I want to give you my heart. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for us to give him our heart. You know, here's a picture of a synagogue. Back when Malachi lived, I believe his day was very similar to our day. They had, they had been 
told for hundreds of years, listen, the Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. You better be ready. The Messiah is going to come. And Malachi and all the people in his day had been told that in their synagogue worship by their parents. And their parents were told that in synagogue worship by their parents. And their parents were told that in synagogue worship by their parents. Who were told by their parents, by their parents, by their parents. It had been going on for hundreds of years. And people would go and they would talk about the Messiah. And they would hear messages about the Messiah that's going to come. And everybody says, praise God, hallelujah, someday He's going to come. And nobody thought He was going to come. At least not then. And I think about us. Do you remember the first time you heard a sermon that made you think Jesus could come back tonight? You remember the first time that really struck you? Hey, He could come back tonight. And you go home and you pray about everything you can think of because if he comes tonight, I want to be ready, right? But then he doesn't. And you hear another sermon about, oh, that's great. He can... And then he doesn't. And then you hear another. And by the time you've heard 10 or 15 of those sermons, you go, good sermon, brother. Yep, the Lord could come back any day. Yeah. Who here believes he's coming back today? I mean, Really? We're just like the people of Malachi's day. The people in Malachi's day had heard over and over the Messiah's coming. And not that they didn't go and worship. Not that they didn't think theoretically this could happen someday. But they didn't expect it. And Malachi talks to them. He says this. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? So what these people were doing is they were taking these blessings that God had given them. And I want to illustrate for you here with blessings. Okay? M&Ms are blessings, right? We all agree on that. Okay? God gives you blessings. And these people had good sheep. And they had lame sheep. They had good sacrifices. And they had bad sacrifices. And they were looking, and they were the kind of people that didn't believe Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come anytime. So they would say, you know, it's time to give a sacrifice. Oh, man, this is a really good lamb. I, you know what? Just, just give him that. Let's, let's just take this one. It's not, it's not going to live anyway. Might as well sacrifice that one. I mean, what difference does it make, right? You're making a sacrifice to God. I mean, so it's blind, you know. I mean, it put the thing out of its misery. God ought to be happy about that, right? And God looks at him. He, he said, I know you. I know what you've got. I know what I gave you. And you won't even give that to a man. And you expect me to be pleased with it. I've given you all this stuff and you're going to use it all on you. And you're going to keep all these things to yourself. And you're not going to give any of them to me. Now see, God uses this. And that, that could be our time. It could be our money. It could be our relationships. It could be any of those things that God gives us as blessings. Now, I, I did clear this with the elders before I did this, okay? These are the blessings that God has given you. And we're going to say, just for illustration, that these are financial blessings, okay? You know, God gives you, gives you some money, right? Now, that money's 
valuable. It's good. You got a job. You got a way to support yourself. And, oh, man, a mortgage or rent. You know, I want to tell you what. Rent, and it's crazy nowadays. You know how, how much interest rates on a mortgage? My goodness. Mm. Lord, thank you. Mm. You've given me so much, Lord. And Oh, car. We've got to have cars. My air conditioner broke down. It is going to be hot this summer. 1700 bucks to fix the air conditioner, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. It's great to have a car. Mm. Oh, on a vacation, my goodness. Only in the summer. We've got to take a vacation. And, and, you know, we've always wanted to go up there. And I'll tell you what, we're so blessed to be able to travel and to be able to enjoy the blessings. Oh, I forgot about insurance. Goodness. Insurance is just crazy, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Man, I'll tell you what, mm, God has been so good to me. Mm. He's helped me so much. And now I'm down to just some little dab that's left. And I go, oh, yeah, I need to give to God, too. Here you go. I've used it all for myself. And what little bit's left, I toss it to God. And what's crazy is some of us actually think God is going, oh, man, cool, there's still some in there. Awesome. You think that's the way God is? Do you think this holy God wants your leftovers? After you've used it all for yourself? And then what little dab is left over? I'll give it to him. I say, well, we have to live. Talk about your time. You give all your time, you got to work. You got to spend time with kids. You got to go to the ball games. You got to watch your favorite TV show, and you go and you got to mow the yard and you got to clean the house. You got all this stuff done, and you just fill your day from the beginning to the end. And when you fall in bed and you're exhausted and you're so tired, and oh, I've got two minutes, I'm going to pray. And we think God's up there going, oh, what an angel, he's praying. You can't just give God your leftovers and expect Him to be happy with that. You can't just give Him a token gift. He's not just a little child. He's the Almighty God. And He says, you wouldn't even give this to someone who was your governor and you're trying to give it to me. All the blessings that God gives us. He says this, Will he accept you favorably? Who is there among you who would who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle a fire on my altar in vain? He looked at them and he said, It would be better if the doors were locked than for you to come worship. Now let me ask you, do you want to be a part of a church that God says, I'd rather lock the doors than hear your worship? I decided a long time ago, I don't ever want to be a part of that kind of a church. And I hope you don't either. I don't believe this is that kind of church. But I believe there may be individuals that just come and sit and go through the motions 
and aren't kind and aren't genuine and don't give God their heart. And I want you to know that won't please God. He will never be satisfied with that type of a sacrifice. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations. That's what he says. Did you know that all over this world today, there are people taking it on the chin for Jesus? There are people being persecuted today. There are people who will be put to death today for Jesus. I want you to think about that when you offer him your sacrifice. When we gather around the table here in a few minutes, if you're going, man, this was a long sermon. Service is dragging on today. I need to get out of here. I want you to think about the people who are willing to die for Jesus today. That's what God says. He says, I've got no pleasure in what you're offering me, but there are people, there are people who will give me their all. God is going to be glorified. God is going to be worshipped. And he said, I want you to be one of those people. I want you to be one of the people who will give me your all. Not just a token, but everything you have. You know, God has always accepted some sacrifices and not others. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Did Cain's sacrifice, did that cost Cain anything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had to plant the vegetables, he had to work hard, he had to harvest them, he had to come and build an altar, and he had to make that sacrifice. That cost him something, didn't it? But God had no respect to it. Why? Because God is not a God who just takes anything. His offering was not offered out of faith. He was offering what he wanted to offer. When you come to worship God, you should come to give God what He wants, not come to get what you want. And if your interest in God amounts to, I'll sit in this building as long as it doesn't take too long, and as long as it's comfortable, and as long as the singing's good, and as long as the preaching's entertaining, but if all of that's not true, I'm out of here. If that's what you've got to offer God, He's not interested in that. You come here to glorify and worship Him, to give to Him. And when I come to worship God, you know what I want to give God? I want to give Him what He wants. I don't want to give Him what I want. I want to give Him what He wants. I know a guy who gave his wife a chainsaw for Christmas. That's not what she wanted. But that's kind of what we try to do with God sometimes. You can't. Do that. So church in Revelation, God says this about them. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they were apostles and are not, and have found them liars. That sounds like a good church, doesn't it? I mean, they were faithful. They were patient. They didn't put up with evil. They didn't tolerate things, people who were false teachers. That's a good church. He says, I have this against you. You left your first love. And he said, if you don't get it back, I'm going to take out your candlestick. Because they were just doing this stuff. It wasn't a genuine, this is my desire to honor you. It wasn't that. It was a going through the motions and doing the things that God said to do. But here's the good news out of this deal. 
You know, um, it's a pretty heavy idea that we've talked about that God may not like your worship. And I want you to honestly examine your heart and the worship you're bringing Him because no one else can do that for you. I want you to honor Him. But this isn't just meant to be a downer sermon. This isn't just meant to be heavy. Because here's what God says in Malachi after all this other stuff we've talked about. He says this, Try me in this now, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. He says, I'm not interested in what you're coming to me with. I hate it. I'm not going to listen to it. He said, but listen, test me. Test me. Try me. Bring me the best you've got. Bring me the very best. Hold nothing back. Give me everything you've got to give. And hold on and see how I bless you. Hold on and see what I'm going to bring into your life. And that's my challenge for you this morning. Don't bring God something half-hearted. Don't sit here and not pay attention to the songs. Don't sit here and fade out because the prayer's too long. Don't sit here and go, man, if they don't fix the temperature in this room, don't be doing that. But come with everything you've got. Give Him all. I mean, lay your heart out in front of Him. And just test Him. Just live that way. And just see, just say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do right here what you said. I'm going to try you, God. I'm going to give you everything I've got. And you just sit back and watch. God is an amazing God. He is a powerful, glorious God. And if in two minutes and 14 seconds I'm standing in front of him with all those angels. Hallelujah. Won't that be a great thing? The message to you today is this. Don't give God your leftovers. He doesn't want your leftovers. Give Him your best. Give Him the first and the best of everything you've got. And if you'll do that, God will be pleased with your worship. The Almighty Creator. And when you step into that scene with all the angels, you'll fit right in because that's what you've been doing on this earth and that's what they're doing in heaven and it will be a seamless transition. You can do that. If you have just been giving God half-heartedness, I want to say this. You don't necessarily need to come to the front. That's, that's not, if you would like to come to the front, we want to pray for you and help you. But the more important thing is for you to decide from now on, I'm not going to give him half of what I've got. I'm not going to give him my leftovers. I'm going to give him the very, very best I can. I'm going to do that for the rest of this life. And that's what I call you to do. Make that decision. Make that change today. Don't let all this stuff in the world get in your way. It's all just things we should use to glorify God. If we can help you in that decision, please come to the front while we stand and sing.